0: Hey, Carrie. The sun is shining in Madison. What is it like where you are?
1: The sun is shining, my friend. Hey, Parker. How you doing today?
0: I'm good. I'm glad for the sunshine. We haven't seen much of it this winter.
1: The light's been beautiful today, and so it's a great, great time to uh, to have a conversation with you.
0: And it's a great time to talk about the growing edge because, as far as I'm concerned, the growing edge ought to be light-filled and, and bright and energetic.
1: Welcome to The Growing Edge. Yes, I'm Carrie Newcomer.
0: And I'm Parker Palmer. To the
2: words and how they live between us, and to us and how we live between the
0: words. So, Carrie, why don't you read the April question of the month?
1: Okay. Um, April is a time of transition. As we emerge from a long winter into the promise of new growth, we bring with us what we learned from the dark months as we step into moments of awe and wonder, glimpses of light and encouragement and gratitude. What have you learned from the long winters of your life and or those seasons of new growth and unexpected light? So what have you learned from the long winters of your life and those seasons Of new growth and unexpected light, I think this is a really good question for you know the beginning, the very beginning of spring.
0: Yeah, I I do too, and in fact, it's a question that I was thinking about this morning, and not because I knew we were going to talk about it today, but because I was realizing with with all this lovely light that's out there, with the warmer temperatures, with the birds singing and the snow melting away after a really long, hard winter in the middle of the polar vortex, I was, I was realizing how little faith I had during those cold, dark days that light and warmth and, and birds and flowers would ever return again. It, you know, it, I, it wasn't something that I was going around mumbling Um, as if I were a character in in C.S. Lewis's Narnia stories where winter is eternal until Aslan comes. But I I think I'm probably subject to a little bit of SADS, uh, seasonal affective disorder. And there was just something in me that really didn't trust the coming of spring. And I've been thinking about that as a, as a, a winter lesson. Um, because here spring is again, you know, the, the promise returns and, uh, the hope returns and the light returns. And there are times when I really need to remember that.
1: You know, I, I think you're really right. And last week I I was just in this time period when the winter has gotten long and in Indiana, it's, it's kind of gray here. It's, it's more of a, a gray kind of state. And, um, by the end of February, the beginning of March, you know, the people around me here, everyone starts to get weary. You can just kind of feel the weight of leaning, kind of longing toward, you know, the light to come. And um, someone this weekend was was quoting a John O'Donohue uh, quote, and I'm I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't have it completely, but you know he was talking about how if the the darkest hours, the darkest hours are right before the dawn. And if you'd never known the daylight, if you'd never been in the daylight, you know, at that really dark moment, before that first light shows up, you know, it would be really hard to imagine even what would be on the other side of that darkest part of, of the night. Um, and I was thinking about that, that, you know, sometimes I, I think in the winter, uh, that happens literally and figure two and, and then literally around us, but you know, the darkness that happens also in the winters of our lives, it's hard at some points to even imagine, you know, what, what's on the other side of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah. Absolutely. I, incidentally, I like the, uh, I like the idea of the gray states. We ought to add that to our political lexicon. We got red states and blue states and gray states, <laughs> purple and, that, states that would, and, yeah, and that would and purple states, right? And that so that would enrich our political vocabulary.
2: Yeah, but I,
0: I um, yeah. you know, I as you know, I recently turned eighty, and at
2: Happy eighty, you realize
0: there are certain things about yourself that that aren't likely to change, and. And I don't think that I will ever get over this kind of uh, midwinter feeling that spring will n- will never come. But there, but I have an alternative, uh, I think, um, kind of yeah. psychologically and spiritually, which is to to understand that in the darkness of winter, things are lying fallow. Things are waiting to regenerate. Um, and there's much to be learned if you, if you look at the winters of your life in that way, that, no, I can't leap into hope right away. You know, that's, that's not a mental act that I'm capable of when all the evidence around me day after day after day after day has said this is the way it's going to be for a long time to come. But what I can do is, is watch myself and my own reactions And, and instead of treating the darkness and the sense of, of stuckness in a way that would lead to despair, I can treat it with curiosity and wonder sort of what's growing under the cover of darkness. Uh, what, you know, what's germinating down there or or what's, what's, um, hibernating, I guess is the word I'm looking for that that wants to yeah. grow again in, in in the spring. That wants to come out of the cave or wants to come up from from underground. Uh, d- does that make sense? That there's some way to the, I hope to turn the darkness um, into something of value, even when you have lost faith in spring. Does that make sense?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, and this idea of fallow time. You know, I you know I, I think there's a a, a lot of pressure in our culture to always be doing creating being productive there's this 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 wheel we're supposed to be keeping in motion at all times and there are times when we need to be fallow we need to be quiet um and we need to learn what's there in the quiet times um you know as a as a songwriter, that can be kind of unnerving. you know, if I have a fallow time when i I write a lot, i'm I'm pretty prolific as a songwriter i I, I write all the time. But there have been times when um it's just not there and it's a fallow time for my songwriting. And uh, you know the first few times it really happened, it was really unnerving. Like, will I ever write another song again, like ever? But then it does come back, and it comes back with what needed to process, what needed to lie fallow for a while. You know, fallowness does not mean that nothing is happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot is happening in that fallow ground, you know, it's, it's, that's being prepared for the next thing.
0: Yeah, and let me just, let me track that fallow word or image for a minute, because obviously it's, it's an agricultural term an agricultural image and if i ask myself okay what what constitutes farming in a fallow time psychologically and spiritually mm-hmm. in in what constitutes farming in the winter of our lives i can go back to that learning motif that that really feels good to me as we're sitting here talking about it i mean it, it's human scale it makes sense and it it reminds me of a of a quote from a wonderful book uh, by T.H. White called The Once and Future King, which mm-hmm. is actually a quote I I read every now and then just because it's always, it's been so rich for me. And I read it in the middle of this hard winter we've been having, and I, I think it helped. I, I, I'd like to read it right now.
1: I'd love to hear it.
0: So the, the book, The Once and Future King, is, is a fictional Uh, interpretation of the Arthurian legend or a novelistic interpretation of the Arthurian legend King Arthur and his court and the magician Merlin who plays a role in this quote who has been assigned to be the mentor to the young Arthur uh, to prepare him for for being a king so the young Arthur is at a hard moment in his young life and Merlin The elder, the mentor, speaks to him in these words. The best thing for being sad, replied Merlin, is to learn something. That is the only thing that never fails. You may grow old and trembling in your anatomies. You may lie awake at night listening to the disorder of your veins. You may see the world around you devastated by evil lunatics, or know your honor trampled in the sewers of baser minds. There is only one thing for it, then, to learn. Learn why the world wags, and what wags it. That is the only thing which the mind can never exhaust, never alienate, never be tortured by, never fear or distrust, and never dream of regretting learning is the thing for you i just adore um, that quote <laughs> and and i i wow. i'm very jealous of it as a writer i mean it's just full <laughs> it's full of such beautiful stuff and and it's not only beautiful it all feels true to me that yeah. here's a mentor to the young merlin saying that learning never fails everything else may fail around you and within you but if you can hold on to that capacity to learn you'll you'll find your way through and i i I, it seems to me that learning is a form of farming in the dark um
1: Uh, yeah
0: or gardening in the dark um building on that that agricultural metaphor and i think i think at almost every level of our lives, even when it's not winter these days, we we have to learn to, to do a lot of gardening or farming in the dark.
1: And I, I like that learning is the thing for you. And that, you know, there's a sense of redemption that comes out of learning something from uh, those times of fallowness, those times of winter Um You know, there's something really redeeming about the fact that you learn something from it. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I love this quote, Parker. I'm so glad you read it. And I, you know, you you may see the world around you devastated by evil lunatics and know your honor trampled. I I think also right now, uh, politically, I I think a lot of us are weary and leaning in towards something better, Mm -hmm. you know, is, is. You know, so important right now, I, and that we learn something from it. You mm-hmm. know, that we learn something from a time when um, so much is coming at us, uh, and at at such a at a rate that that we're weary, mm-hmm. and we're weary of it, and to not get burned out by it, not get numb by it, but to find out what we can learn from it.
0: Yeah, not to turn cynical, um, which again I think mm-hmm. learning is an antidote to cynicism, because if you're learning something, you may find a way through. I had an interesting experience this morning, I, was, I had to go see my dentist and when he got through with me, we actually had 10 minutes to chat, he had a little gap in his schedule and the topic somehow turned to politics. He and I are in very different places politically. Um, as we, as we soon learned, we'd, we'd never talked before because usually my mouth is stuffed with cotton when I'm with him and, <laughs> and he, he has metal instruments in there. So I don't want to say anything that might, you know, lead to an accident or a trembling <laughs> hand, but, um, it, we had a good conversation and it suddenly came to me. I said, you know, I think what we're wrestling with here really is. What does it mean to be a good citizen in our time? And even though he's on the conservative right and I'm on the progressive left, he lit up and he said, "That's exactly the right question. What does it mean to be a good citizen in our time? Let's let's talk about that." And and let's talk more, you know, the next time you come in and I said, "Well, if you can keep those sharp things out of my mouth, I'd be glad to do that." <laughs> And, and thank you for this this conversation. But I, I think you know, learning is focused by a good question. Like, what does it mean to be a good citizen? You you have to be if you're in the dark. You 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 have to have a little idea what you're looking for. And maybe you're looking for yourself or something inside yourself. Maybe you're looking for something outside yourself. But that's that was what both of us were looking for this morning.
1: You know. I- I love a lot of things about you, my friend, but that you would have this really meaningful um, conversation um, with your dentist, you know, with instruments in your, you know, <laughs> I'd, I'm just sitting here thinking,
2: wow, that's really, that's really wonderful. <laughs> um, like I said, love a lot of things about you, but there you go. <laughs> but, <it's>, but, you <laughs> know, I think both of us, though, have this
1: tendency to, get into these conversations everywhere we go. I have this big bumper sticker on my head. I think that says, tell me a story. You know, (laughs) I I sit down in an airport or, you know, anywhere and, you know, people come up and they tell me stories. And I, I I think because I love them and I love the stories and uh, I love what happens when we open up to one another and say, yes, you know, you know, at a, At the thread that pulls through here is the question: What does it really mean to be a good citizen right now? What does it really mean to be a good person in our lives? Or, um, you know, what does it mean to to live a life learning and asking good questions? I think that's really wonderful i just love
2: you did that with your dentist this morning
0: i think i think the novocaine may have dulled that part of my (laughs) primitive brain that (laughs) wanted to get into a fight so i can't take full credit for it but you know you're right i've seen people approach you that way because you do have that that bumper sticker on your on your forehead and and you use the word you know love you said you love them and 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 i know that that's true i know what you mean by that, that, I know that you're genuinely interested in other people without regard to where they stand on this or that. It, it, and I keep thinking about that great phrase that the poet Elizabeth Alexander used, are we not of interest to each other? It's, yes. it's such a simple phrase, but it's it's a, such a powerful reminder that here we are sharing the earth for a few years and are we not of interest to each other? Do we not have a lot to learn from each other? Um, can we take this we this opportunity to uh, to learn what we can from each other, whether we're standing in the light or in the dark? Um, I think those are all wonderful, wonderful questions to to pursue.
1: Well, you know, I have a song that I wrote um, called "A Small Flashlight," right. and and. You know, the, the, the whole idea behind this, this um, song was that, you know, we can't always see, um, you know, 10 steps ahead of us. We can't always see that far into the spring. You know, we can, we can catch glimpses of it. But, but we do, what we do have is this small flashlight that we can, with, with the light of everything we love and everything we are, we can, we can put that flashlight down and we can see one step. And then, once you take that step, you got enough light to find the next step.
0: I and love then, I love that song. I'd love yeah. to hear it. Could you do it right now?
1: Well, yes. <laughs> I happen to
0: have. Do you have a guitar, a guitar nearby?
2: I do have a guitar nearby because <laughs> I always do. <laughs> I <know. laughs> okay, let me get my guitar. dark up ahead of me the way is dark and i cannot see what i love the most is a flashlight beam lighting up the way when i cannot see The way unfolds like an open hand. The way unfolds like I didn't plan. And only in looking back do I understand that the way was true as an open hand. Trials and troubles have already come And the net appeared when I needed one Yes, the road is dark and the ground is rough Most of the time a flashlight has to be enough We move forward one step at a time Wide-eyed and hopeful Lost and half-blind Mistake by mistake We all learn to be kind There's so much to see and realize If I could close my mouth And open up my eyes And the world will tell us More than enough lies But we'll find our way with a small flashlight
0: So thanks for the song, Carrie. I I, I love this, the notion <laughs> that the road is long and, and what was it? Something's rough. Um,
1: the road is dark and the ground is rough. Most of the time a flashlight has to be enough.
0: Yeah, that that notion that most of the time a flashlight has to be enough and sometimes the batteries even start to die, right? And the light gets a little weaker and a little weaker. But you're able to illuminate only a small patch of the darkness at a time. I, so the images in that song are very true for me. And I think that's the way a lot of feeling, uh, people are feeling these days about our political and social and economic situation. That The future feels very uncertain to, to young people, to older people, to middle-aged people. and it sometimes feels like that that flashlight just isn't showing enough of the path ahead to to make us feel like there's solid ground on which to walk or a, a way forward.
1: Well, and it's interesting because, you know, that it requires a certain amount of trust. The, the whole song is about this idea that we, we don't always see that far down the way. You know, we don't always, we, we can't always see the end of this, this journey, we, we can only see as far as the flashlight and we take our steps forward with that light. And, you know, and then what is that light? You know, what are the things that help us to uh, keep moving forward, to move forward with a certain kind of spirit? And I, I think, you know, in the song, what we love, what I love the most is a flashlight beam, you know, what is it that I love the most and what is it that I, I keep coming back to? What do I ground with? Mm -hmm. Um, I've been thinking about that a lot because it's springtime. One of the things I do when I'm feeling weary or unsettled is I actually, I live out in the woods. I actually go out into the woods and I lay down on the ground. I mean, I really, I just lay down on the ground and I just feel it. I just feel that, you know, what is holding me up, you know, this earth. You know, I, I usually get up muddy and my dogs are leaping around but it actually it actually is something that's really really powerful for me just go out and just lay down
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: and and, you know what is it that grounds me literally grounds me Uh, what is it that allows me to see by that flashlight you know just a little farther down the road
0: so getting grounded in in the earth in in as many ways i know you spend a lot of time outdoors so and so what else is it that in addition to getting grounded in the earth that gives you that little bit of light to take next steps
1: you know i i think beauty you know um uh, music always music you know um literature you know poetry Mm-hmm. Uh, sp- you know, spiritual texts that I return to.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, conversations with good friends. Uh, last week when uh, I was really feeling the gray of the end of the winter, I, I sent an email to three women who I, I just adore. We're in a book group together and say, all right, it's a really gray day. Um, you know, poems, quotes, insights, you know, what do you got? <laughs> and these beautiful women. I started getting these emails with, you know, poetry and just thoughts about, you know, what is it that, that grounds us? What is it that helps us move forward when we're at that time where you can't, can't quite see the light yet? Mm-hmm. But, we're, but we're really longing for it.
0: Yeah. I love the idea of proactively reaching out to folks and saying, I need a spiritual care package, you know, so send me yeah. some poems, send me some stories, send me some thoughts or ideas. I like that I a lot.
1: It's wonderful. You know, I, 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 you know, I suggest it, you know, I recommend it. You know, if you have folks who you, you know, even if you're not in a, you know, an ongoing group or something, but someone that you just really, um, you know, trust and you and you know that they have some kind of insight in the world you know call them up yeah send them an email say all right yeah
0: and then there's a there's another movement too that I know you engage in a lot which involves um, reaching out to other people in helpful ways I mean I, I was just thinking yes. al- along the lines of a small flashlight which and I, I need to learn to ask for help more often than I do, but, um, so I I admire what you do with your, those three close women friends. And I'm going to try to emulate that with some of my friends. Um, what I am now remembering I've done over the last couple of months is to sit with, I don't know, five, six, seven young people who are trying to discern their own futures have them over in the afternoon for a cup of tea. We live in a university town and so there's a plentiful supply of young people who are who are who are hopeful but are confused and you know who are seeking conversations th- that help them clarify what's going on inside of them not not conversations where an older person tells them what to do or where yeah. to go, mm-hmm. but conversations where, An older person takes an interest in them and asks them questions that, to use a phrase I love from from Nell Morton, conversations that hear them into speech, that hear them into deeper and deeper speech. And I was just realizing every one of those conversations has been a small flashlight for me because, you know, at age 80, I have my own kind of unknowing about yes. about what's ahead. And it's actually a different kind of unknowing than I've had in previous decades of my life. But to sit with a young person who is, is energetically and yet hesitantly or, or even fearfully looking for a road forward is is very life-giving for me. And it helps shed light on, on my own path. I mean, maybe maybe my path is being a mentor to young people. I don't know, but uh, that's certainly a life-giving and light-giving uh, part of the path I've been walking during this hard winter.
1: Well, and I know that you know you, as you said earlier, you turned eighty this year, and I, I know you've been very thoughtful and mindful about it. And you know, sometimes birthdays fly by, and we don't really take time to consider you know, time of life. And uh, you've been so thoughtful about it. And I know you've written about it and you have a book, you know, on the brink of everything, you know, being very thoughtful and mindful about asking these kinds of questions and the, the shift, you know, different kinds of shifts that are happening. You know, what, what does that mean for me? I mean, you know, so I guess I'm kind of asking a little, a little deeper on that into your own experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I, I mean, I was thinking earlier when we were talking about fallow, fallow times, the the, the darkness as a fallow time. I was thinking that uh, there are many days now at age 80 when I look ahead and 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 all I see is fallow time. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I mean, an example would be that, you know, for 40 years now, I've been writing books. The, the most recent one is number 10. And there really is something in me now that feels like that's the last book. And, and yet, for the past 40 years, writing has been so life-giving for me, writing and publishing and interacting with readers and, you know, putting ideas out into the public arena and getting feedback for better and for worse, you learn from it all. Especially from the worse, uh, you learn important things from your critics. That there is a wondering in me about how I'm going to move through what may be a, a final decade or however much I'm given of, of truly fallow time, where where I'm not I'm not running an agribusiness of a sort. That I ran for the last 40 years, um, investing a lot of time and energy in, in 10 books and in a lot of travel, a lot of speaking, a lot of work with the nonprofit that I founded, the Center for Courage and Renewal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a, there's a part of me that is learning to love the rest, the respite. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's even a part of me sometimes where I can sit back and say, just enjoy it, Parker. You know, you've worked hard, Um, you've done the best you could. It's time to just lay it down and find more time for play, find more time for walking in the woods, find more time for talking with my wife, more time for talking with my granddaughter. Um, and I love those moments of just th- this feeling that you know that the fallow is good and it's no sin I mean I guess in, I guess I was raised to think of fallow as a sin <laughs> you know that yeah. if I'm not out there doing something to earn my keep um, then then it's somehow a moral failing it, you know what I mean yeah
1: oh yeah you know, the whole Midwestern work ethic thing, though I don't think it's just Midwestern. But but yeah, that whole, that you know, part of identity is all these things that you were doing. And, you know, I'm trying to make sure I'm, I'm hearing you correctly, but, you know, that there's been a certain way of, of being in the world and things that gave you a lot of energy in life. But it's interesting to me, you know, that when something shifts when when a person's life shifts to a different kind of being midwestern work ethic we're we're brought up to say oh no that's bad you know or oh no um i i need to need to get going here uh, but i think you know i think there's something really amazing that happens when you know there's a shift to quiet and maybe a call to a different kind of way of being. Mm-hmm. And that can be because of aging and a different time of life because of that. But I think that also can happen at different points of a person's life that yeah. this, is, this is everything I was doing. This is everything I thought that I was supposed to be doing. And it's not working anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and when I make that shift, when I'm feeling called to something else, you know, who am I now? Yeah. And, and 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 am I okay? Um, you know, I think I think that's a real a, a really uh, important time and a really important experience. And it's it's also a really uncomfortable time sometimes. You know, to am I okay because I'm not feeling called to do what used to give me a whole ton of life?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm
1: really and I'm being called to something else.
0: Yeah, I like that a lot, Carrie. It it somehow opens a window or a door for me that I can't quite name right now, but I think part of it is that, in what you just said, is that I'm realizing that this isn't the first time in my life that I've faced a transition of a rather significant sort. I mean, I think every time I've come to a twist or turn in my own twisty, turny vocational path, I've had questions similar to these, I think the at age eighty the, the the question becomes more freighted with one's own mortality, and mm-hmm. and you know I think yeah. part of the answer to that is I, I just need to get over myself, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: just need no, to get but o- I,
1: I think really, and I also really appreciate that you talk about that clearly. You know, we're we're terrified of our own mortality. In you know. In our in this culture we don't we, we don't talk about it we really uh, acknowledge sometimes that you know this is part of the process I'm in right now this is part of my what I'm being thoughtful about and it's part of the decisions I'm making mm-hmm. that that um you know that I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling my horizon line getting closer
0: yeah and absolutely what does that mean yeah I, I yeah. find it Very helpful to talk about it for certainly for myself and other people have said they find it helpful to uh, in their own thinking about their their aging and and their mortality and of course some people have faced the mortality question at a much younger age than I and have done so with uh, in, in ways that I just find illuminating and encouraging and exemplary um you know, using our seasonal metaphors, it just occurs to me again, and these things emerge as we talk, they always do for me. It it occurs to me that I need to understand that not every spring looks the same, right? Yes. And, oh, and, and, yeah. And so to translate that into my life situation, in the past, what spring has looked like to me in terms of emerging from a Fallow period in my work life or a period of confusion or of stuckness What spring has looked like to me is a new book, right? Yeah. Uh, or a, a new lecture tour <laughs> Or a new project. project or program that I can get behind mm. and It's a real mistake to think that that's the way spring needs to look This time around if it is to have any validity. I mean You know, I was just thinking, in the old saying: "In spring, a young man's fancy turns to thoughts of love." Well, in spring, an old man's fancy might turn to thoughts of just hanging out, (laughs) you know, and and enjoying it, right? And
1: I love it. And the call to just be, Mm. you know, and to 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 and kind of a, a perpetual motion and be and. You know, that's a pretty amazing call. Okay, th- this is a little of a non sequitur, but, you know, I, I was um, in Kentucky last week. I was playing a show in Kentucky, and um, someone came to the show and invited me to their tea shirt It's uh, Tea master um, Tea master you, know, you meet people on the road. You know, I don't know, and I, I love this. It's one of the things about my unusual life as a traveling folks is I meet the most amazing people everywhere. And so... That, come on over i'll make tea for you so i went uh to this wonderful person's um shop and he and his wife they made tea for me uh in a beautiful uh tea ceremony and uh and we talked about our lives you know the tea ceremony being so much about being quiet being right in this moment being with a cup of tea and nowhere else being with this conversation and nowhere else. And, you know, they told me of their lives and they, you know, starting out in one place and, you know, working with music, working with theology, working with different things. And then this call to tea, a call to this love of not, you know, to the, to the you know, what a wonderful thing that tea is, but the ceremony behind it. You know, this idea of just being and and being with other people in a way that's, you know, utterly present and has no agenda, that has no agenda to it at all. So, you know, it's that it was a sideways kind of thing, but, you know, what you're talking about is, you know, a movement to being more in this moment with no agenda other than to be, you know. To be really, you know, yeah, and I, it taught me something. I mean, I've been thinking about that ever since. You know, I've been making myself tea every morning instead of coffee. Yeah. And and it's it's been a good reminder. Sometimes the call is to, right here and now, and yeah, a cup of tea and nothing more.
0: I guess, I guess at bottom, it's pretty simple. Even though it's not always easy to live, but. The way through anything is to be there and to be as fully there as you can. It reminds me a bit of the slogan I learned on Outward Bound years ago, which was, if you can't get out of it, get into it, uh, which mm-hmm. has just proven to me to be you know, such good counsel in so many life situations. So the, the tea ceremony is a way of, of getting into the present moment and into the relationship with another person, and into whatever is possible in that in that moment, and we all have different ways of, of doing that. But whatever whatever ways work for us, uh, let's do it. I'm going to try to practice more of that just being there stuff as as one answer to the kind of um, winter that that old age represents. I like that a lot. Yeah.
1: I, I love your, your comment that not every spring looks the same. Yeah. You know, that every time a spring has come back, every time a fallow time has come back for me, it, you know, that means, uh, a, a whole, you know, a bunch of new songs or an album or, you know, a, a collection of poetry, you know, it's like, you know, when it comes back, it has a similar look to it. Um, and I'm a very creatively restless person. So, um, you know, it, it means a certain kind of spring, a look to spring, but this idea that it might look different this time than I am expecting it to look. And if I'm open to that, if I'm open to that and I don't make judgments on that, you know, like, Oh, you know, it's supposed to look this way. It's always look this way. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, there's an open space that happens at the end of a winter. You know, it's like, you know, there's, it's an open space and sometimes that open space, I think we've talked about it before, you know can look suspiciously like a hole, mm-hmm. you know, but it's only a space. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, and what, what has been waiting for my attention, you know, in that fallow time, you know, what has been waiting for me to actually stop long enough and pay attention to what can step into that space with me? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. I'm kind of a doer, you know it's like okay, you know okay, now, now we're gonna do the next thing. I'm gonna read that book and get enlightened you know <laughs>
0: i I've, I've, I've noticed that yes, <laughs> yeah, just just
1: a little but but you know it is true that every time in those fallow spaces, you know, if I look at it as an as not a whole but as a space, and that a space that's been waiting for me. Just waiting for me to be there mm-hmm. and to learn something, kind of going back to that beautiful quote at the beginning of um, the podcast that's been waiting for me to be in that moment to learn.:
0: Yeah, and I might I might, if you'd like, read that quote in a moment as a way of wrapping up our podcast.
1: I would love that. I could I could I, I could read it I think once a day for, for a while here
0: okay that's a, that's a deal i'll just say one more thing before i read it and that is first of all thank you for this conversation i really feel like i'm in a in like the place i'm in with regards my own uh, wintering through is a different place now than it was before we started talking and i'm always grateful for that you know i also want to say that i'm a slow learner <laughs> and it, it, it comes to me um, uh, as we wrap up this conversation that, of course, of course, everything we've said here is, is, is about what Howard Thurman, th- who gave us the inspiration for the Growing Edge project mm-hmm. and podcast, is what Howard Thurman meant when he said... In times of struggle, in times of transition, in times when all hope seems lost, in times of dying and death, look well to the growing edge. And, you know, often the meaning of simple words escapes you, but look well to the growing edge means, for example, don't assume that the growing edge of this coming spring is going to be just like the last spring. That's a real mistake. If you look well to the growing edge, you're going to recognize spring in all of the forms it takes. And that's what I need to be doing at this stage in my life. Maybe there are some others out there who need to be doing that too. I, I will close out by reading once again this quote that we've been tracking through the podcast from T.H. White the once and future king. The best thing for being sad, replied Merlin, is to learn something. That is the only thing that never fails. You may grow old and trembling in your anatomies. You may lie awake at night listening to the disorder of your veins. You may see the world around you devastated by evil lunatics or know your honor trampled in the sewers of baser minds. There is only one thing for it, then, to learn. Learn why the world wags and what wags it. That is the only thing which the mind can never exhaust, never alienate, never be tortured by, never fear or distrust, and never dream of regretting. Learning is the thing for you. You've been listening to The Growing Edge with Carrie Newcomer and Parker Palmer.
1: Thank you for joining us today, and I hope you'll check out our next episode.
0: And don't forget to visit our website, newcomerpalmer.com, newcomerpalmer.com, so you can join in the conversation too. Uh,
1: yes, we have a conversations page, and people uh, do a lot of wonderful writing about these questions of the month. Now we have a favor to ask. If you like today's show, rate us and leave a review on iTunes. It's the best way to help us reach new audiences and bring more voices into the conversation.
0: All the music you heard on today's show was written by our own Carrie Newcomer and much gratitude to Gary Walters for performing the song, The Clean Edge of Change.
1: And wild appreciation for Allison Quantz for creative envisioning, direction, production, and being an amazing flashlight.